Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, October 15th. We're looking at Proverbs 28, verses 1 through 28. We've got Pastor Ryan Agrotowitz with us. He serves as the associate pastor and headmaster at Grace Lutheran Church and School in Brenham, Texas. Pastor Grotowitz, prior to the break, we're looking at the first part of chapter 28. One of the, the really outstanding verses in this section is verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Here we have not only earthly wisdom, but certainly heavenly wisdom when it comes to confession and absolution. Take us into verse 13. Well, that's a great gift that Christians have, which is to hear absolution, God's absolution, through the lips of his servant, the called and ordained pastor. This verse nicely says what our church does believe and confess, which is, you know, if you hide your sins, you will not prosper, but confess them. Repent. Repent, confess, and you will have the mercy that God promises and gives. For any Christian who is hurting and needs to get something off their chest, those sins that they know, feel, and experience, they certainly are not compelled to to list every single sin. Uh, Go to your pastor. Go confess, and he is charged by God to forgive you. Uh, No strings attached. He pronounces absolution, and you go away in peace. And and the gift, really, it really is that good. It seems like there should be some strings or a big, lengthy to-do list, Um, but forgiveness in the sight of God is complete and total forgiveness. Your sins are absolved because of the atonement of our Lord Jesus to cover and pay for all sin. And when God says, I will remember your sins no more, he's not going to call them to mind because you are forgiven by the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So a good verse right there for us Christians and and anybody to remember. You know, let's be bold to confess and receive what God gives. Instead of harboring our sins and even defending them, man, that can be just rot to the bones when we want to hold on to the anger, hold on to the regret, hold on to the guilt. There is no prosperity in those things. But to confess them, own up to them, and receive what God gives, that is true refreshment for the bones. In a book like Proverbs, it's such a, a wonderful gift to have a verse like this because the temptation is when you're reading all these verses that say, this is what the wicked do, in contrast to what the righteous do, this is what the foolish do in contrast to what the wise do. The temptation is for us to always want to look at our lives and try to put ourselves with the wise and the righteous in a way that's just not honest, in a way that's not real, and and to make excuses for our wickedness or our foolishness when those come up, as, as we are both sinner and saint at the same time. And, and a verse like this is a, a wonderful reminder to be honest when it comes to these Proverbs and where we have followed the way of the wicked or we have followed after the way of folly to confess that rather than trying to lie about it and be dishonest with only ourselves. We're only fooling ourselves, as St. John reminds us in his epistle. We can simply confess it. And and when we do, when we don't try to cover up our own sin, we, we're surprised by joy to know that God does cover our sins with the blood of Jesus Christ. And it it is, it's just a precious gift. And as you said, there's no strings attached. Go in peace. What what an amazing thing. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. It is. Let's continue then with the rest of the chapter here in Proverbs 28. We're picking up now in verse 15. Like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over a poor people. A ruler who lacks understanding is a cruel oppressor but he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. If one is burdened with the blood of another, he will be a fugitive until death. Let no one help him. Whoever walks in integrity will be delivered, but he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. To show partiality is not good, but for a piece of bread, a man will do wrong. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Whoever robs his father or his mother and says, that is no transgression, is a companion to a man who destroys. 
A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Whoever trusts in his own whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. When the wicked rise, people hide themselves, but when they perish, the righteous increase. That's the end of Proverbs 28. That was verses 15 through 28. So at the beginning of this section, Pastor Grotowitz, we've got two verses that deal with the matter of a ruler. We've got a, a, a roaring lion or a charging bear. That's what a wicked ruler is like for the poor people. The And then along those same lines, a ruler who lacks understanding is a cruel oppressor, but he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. Take us, take us into this picture of an unjust ruler and a just ruler. Sure. So the unjust ruler would be the one who is in the category of the wicked and the fool. And so early on in verse one, we talked about wicked people being afraid of everything. And, you know, you take a ruler who's just paranoid of everything. And I'm thinking of like a King Herod, and he may be a very good example here. This just came to my mind. When King Herod, for example, receives the Magi, and they say, we're looking for the one who's born the king of the Jews. It's not something you say to a guy like King Herod. And when he finds out he's tricked by the Magi, remember they have the dream and they go a different way after seeing the Christ, he flies into a murderous rage and has all the boys to and under in Bethlehem and the surrounding region slaughtered. So the slaughter of the innocents, Matthew has that account for us. You see what happens when rulers get paranoid. And man, they are like the, the charging bear and the roaring lion. And you think about a roaring lion and a charging bear, at that moment, they just have blood on their mind. They're going to, to kill, to maul, and that's all they are thinking about. Discernment is out the window. And that's what you're going to get when you have a wicked ruler over a poor, oppressed, crushed people. Um, the one who lacks understanding, their understanding, in the context of Proverbs, this is the understanding of God. A wise ruler who does fear God and does thing with temperance and patience and true wisdom from above. The one who hates unjust gain. So getting back to this idea of wanting to get something in an unjust way, oppressing people to fleece them and take what's not yours, that's bad and wicked. But the one who hates those things, the ruler who does turn from that, because that ruler has a deep understanding in the ways of God, there's going to be the prolonging of days. And I think, too, there's a connection, maybe even a little one, so what we talked about earlier, when um, we talked about a land that has many, many rulers because the land has transgressed, as opposed to that man, that ruler with understanding and knowledge, there's going to be stability. Things are going to be prolonged because the ruler is operating with the wisdom, not his own. You know, as, as we see more and more of these verses in the book of Proverbs about kings or rulers, mm-hmm. I, I reflect upon our, our own situation in which we live in a country in which there's there's no religious test for our ruler. That's that's the way this country is designed, is that there is no religious test. It's That's part of the, the constitution of our country. And yet, uh, there's... I, I know, I mean, in my own reflection as a, as a Christian, there's been times where I've, I've said, you know, whether or not the person I vote for, whether the person who has authority over me is a Christian or not, that's not the number one thing. And, and yet... And yet, as I read the book of Proverbs, I, I wonder about that because, oh, sure. Sure. because a Christian should have a proper understanding of what is right and wrong according to true understanding such that, and maybe I could say it like this, all other things being equal, a Christian will make a better civil ruler than a non-Christian. Is that, I mean, is that true, Pastor Grotowitz? I completely believe that is true. Yeah. Right, and and I was, I was overjoyed, and maybe I'm a minority on this, but there was this quote I used to hear all the time, that apparently Luther said, "I'd rather be ruled by a wise Turk than a foolish Christian," and that always irked me. But you know, Luther said it, and he's certainly much smarter than I am. And then I found some people doing some research trying to track that quote down, and they couldn't do it; they couldn't find it, and I. I paid close attention to that because um, I, I was a little bit excited, maybe that's the word, to hear that they could not track it. And to my knowledge, the exact reference to that quote has never been found. He gets close in some of his tracks to saying it, um, but 
not the way we've heard it, that, you know, it's better to have a wise Turk than a foolish Christian. So if one of your listeners does find it, and I'm an error, I encourage them to please email me so I can make that correction. But at least a few years ago, there were some scholars trying to find it, and they couldn't track it down. And when you read Luther's writings, Pastor Apple, he is constantly calling upon authorities to do the right thing um, in, in spiritual and civil matters. He's always calling upon the government to, to do right. And so I don't think it's unfair to say you know, he does want at least authorities who operate with a Christian mindset and a basis for passing laws and managing the land. Even in the tract on usury, he talks about temporal authorities, you know, setting some price controls and whatnot to fix the situation and curb against greed. You look at that, what he said, but and more importantly than just Luther, but look at the scriptures, look at Proverbs, read Proverbs, and you will come away hoping and praying God puts a Christian magistrate, a ruler in power. You know, maybe they don't know everything about financial policy, but the Christian will look, th- look at things through the lens of God and not endorse and support something like abortion. Right, and I don't. I don't think we want to. I don't think either one of us are. Or I'm. I'm trying not. We're not trying to bind someone's conscience, saying that you must say vote. And and voting is not the only way we participate in this in the civil realm as Christians, by the way. But but we're not binding someone's conscience, saying that if you don't vote for a Christian, you sin. But but rather to say, pay attention to how your rulers make use sure. of scripture. You know, when when you hear them quote scripture, are they are they quoting it as God gave it or are they using it for some other purposes? And that's true no matter where your particular magistrate falls on the political spectrum. Are they making use of it the way that God intends to to use according to his wisdom or are they making use of it for their own purposes? And and pay attention to those things. And and as you said, I think perhaps the most important thing we can say is that this is a a cause for prayer on our parts. Lord, give us this kind of ruler, one who is wise and who will rule according to what you give in your word. Sure. Yes. And, and for the magistrate we have, if, you know, one does not agree with and like the policies of a magistrate who is over us, pray for them as well, that the Lord would bring them to repentance and faith to do the right thing. And I want to echo what you said. I, I don't want anyone thinking I'm trying to bound their conscience and, and suddenly start declaring this vote to be a sin and that vote not to be a sin. I think if, if we are to do that, we're stepping into a pile of sins mm-hmm. by that. But yeah, to pay attention, Pastor Apple, yeah, to pay attention and pray. Pray for our rulers, pray for the ones in power right now, they would do the right thing, and that down the road, the Lord would give us good, faithful rulers that we appreciate and continue to pray for. Mm. Moving on in the, the text, let's let's go down to verse 18, because I think there, with that right. verse, there's a, a bit of a, an introduction into a, a broader topic. Whoever walks in integrity will be delivered, but he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. That, that verse seems to function as a, a bit of an introduction to several verses that delve into the matter of walking with integrity versus walking in a crooked way. Yes, I mean, Christian walk... Is, is vital to your existence now, and certainly when you die to go be with your Lord. So one who walks in integrity, again, walking in this, this, this idea of, of completeness, honest, sound, wholesome, unimpaired, and even, this is interesting, I'm looking at the definition I wrote for this, this word, tamim in the Hebrew, even innocent. Well, how could you walk in innocence, being that we are sinful people? And the, the best and really only explanation, only explanation, is that you are innocent because you believe in God who takes away your sin, and that's how you are walking. And if you walk in a crooked way, walking in unbelief, denouncing God, going the opposite direction, it's going to be a quick fall. In this life, falling into unbelief, falling into the pit of sin and death, that's not good. And, of course, you know, the Day of Judgment, if that's where you're at, that's bad as well, eternally speaking. So we want the integrity that God gives, and honesty, to acknowledge who we are before Him. That's an important part of this of this integrity. We're honest with ourselves, getting back to that idea, too, of confessing our sins. And we have the integrity to, to believe in God and trust to Him to lead us and guide us instead of relying on our own devices. So the way that that integrity then plays out in life is, is expounded in the following verses. Verse 19, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. 
but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Now, this is a helpful verse, I think, for, for a number of reasons. It certainly encourages us in diligent labor. And it is a reminder, for example, from some of the verses we looked at previously, verses three and six, when it talks about like, well, verse six, particularly better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. It's not that a rich man is being condemned precisely because he's rich. I mean, it has had to do that has much more to do with, do you walk in integrity or not here? We, we do see, look, diligent work reaps a reward in this life. And that's not a, that's not a bad thing. It's something to be received with Thanksgiving as we pray in the fourth petition. The one who is working is the one also who should trust in God to give. And he's he's taking care of his labor. He's taking care of what he's been given and working. And we juxtapose that with the person who wants everything quick, everything easy, because he covets that which is not his and doesn't want to work for it. I mean, we remember part of the fall, curse of the fall. By the sweat of your brow, O Adam, you will till the ground. And we don't escape that from this life. We do have to work. And so when we take upon the task, the duty of doing work, we're acknowledging what God has said about this fallen place. We, we cannot undo the curse of the fall. We can't change the political structure, change economic foundations, and think, aha, that's going to usher in the utopia that we want. No, the curse of the fall is going to be here until our Lord returns, and that curse entails working. And so here, the person who is working does so with the promise. The Lord sees what he's doing, and he will provide. And a worker who does labor and puts his trust in God is trusting in he who always has our needs before his throne of grace. Mm. And we can work with joy knowing the Lord sees what we're doing, he sees our faith, and he will give according to his good and gracious will, as opposed to the one who follows worthless pursuits. So I guess I need to get out of my Ponzi scheme, right? <laughs> because <laughs> worthless pursuits are not gonna they're not gonna pay off. I'm thinking about this show I know we're getting short for time, but American Greed, and I, I used to love watching American Greed because it showed people, you know, they're following worthless pursuits. They've got their Ponzi scheme, and they're trying to get rich quick, and it works great for a while, but in Ponzi schemes, they only work as long as you have new investors and new money coming in, right? Because you can't just stick with one sum and pay people more than what's already in the pot, and eventually, you know, it always it always falls down. Uh, but that verse just reminds us of what we see on the show like American Greed, okay? Do the work God has called you to do. Don't covet. Don't follow worthless, vain pursuits. Trust in God to provide. Yeah, I mean, and, and a reminder that, that work is a gift from God, too. He did give work before the fall into sin to Adam. He gave Adam to, to work and keep the garden there in Genesis 2. And so... I mean, certainly the curse now has affected our work so that it, it involves toil and sweat and, and we don't eat except mm-hmm. by that. But the work itself does remain a gift from God. And and it's not something to be avoided as, as if it were bad or as if it were a, a barrier to receiving what God wants to give us. Rather, it is the means by which God gives to us. And, and when we try to go around it, uh, whether through a worthless pursuit or in uh, verse 22, it says a stingy man hastens after wealth. The, the note there in the ESV indicates that the, the Hebrew there for a stingy man is a, a man whose eye is evil. So it, that person who hastens after wealth, well, what do you get really? You're going to get poverty. That, that's really all that's coming. Rather than working diligently in what God has given you, knowing, as you said, in trust that this is how God is going to provide for me and my daily bread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, sure. Yes, that's how he is going to provide. He, he's going to give it according to his good and gracious will and even use labor to do it. So we should work. And I like what you said about work uh, being a gift. Uh, that's a good reminder for me. So when I start complaining about all the work I do, <laughs> to remind myself, it is a good thing to be able to do this. And it is a gift, even though sometimes you know, the labor in the ministry can be hard. And really, in any, any vocation, I think what you said is helpful for Christians to bear in mind. Yes, you're working hard, but that work is a gift. To be thankful you can do it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, not everybody has that ability to go out there and work even when they wish they should. So we should really uh, be thankful for that. But yeah, a lot of good things in that verse. No doubt, no doubt. So let's, the, the final what, verses 23 through 28, perhaps we can lump them together and pull out a, a few topics there. We, we got about five minutes here, Pastor Agrotowitz. Okay. So yeah, you tell me, where do, where do you want to focus in those five minutes? Let's see. So we are starting, let's see, we took us down to, uh, through 
20, right? Um, where do I want to focus? Well, I say you, you've already read them. Let's just start talking to them and try to get through them in five minutes. How, how does that sound? I'll, I'll give you a one-minute warning, and then you can tell a us one, about yep. Jesus, okay? And then we'll close. That's How's good. That? A one-minute warning. Right. Yeah, I got to end on the right spot. I can't be left hanging on something that's just not very comforting. <laughs> but, uh, in, you know, verse 20 Again, the idea of hastening to be rich will not go unpunished. I mean, that gets back to coveting something, and you want it quick, and you don't want to work. We've talked about that. Verse 21, showing partiality. That is not good before a piece of bread. Man will do, um, a man will do wrong. So we don't want to be partial to some people. That is not good. And for a piece of bread, man will do, man will do wrong. If somebody is hungry, I think that might be a verse for rulers. When people start to go hungry... They will do wrong. They will do things that they shouldn't do. So that might be a good verse for rulers to keep in mind. You know, above all else, keep your people fed. For a piece of bread, a man will do wrong. A stingy man hastens after wealth. You know, these verses are, again, hitting upon the point that we've, I think we've done a pretty good job talking about. Uh, if, if you're going after wealth too quickly, you're coveting, and that's not going to be good. Let's concentrate now on 23. Rebuking a person... Whoever rebukes me, I would find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. This is hard for us to do. It's hard for me as a pastor, but there's a lot in Proverbs about rebuking and calling people uh, to repentance, showing them the error of their ways. And the world thinks the opposite. To the world, you, you don't rebuke, but you let people live as they should live and make the decisions they want. That's the loving thing to do, not to call out sin. So the world has this backwards for the Christian, it is to be loving to call somebody to repentance. This rebuke can be done in a gentle way. It doesn't have to be with anger and finger pointing. But in love, one can tell another person, hey, you got to get out of this Ponzi scheme. Hey, you can't be treating your neighbor like this. You cannot oppress them, but you are to love them and help them. There's certainly more favor in that than just flattering somebody and telling them, yes, your sin is okay. You know, keep living with your boyfriend. It's not a big deal. You know, we'll, we'll just overlook that. And any number of sins that we have to deal with today. So verse 23, an important one that rebuking, it's something that the church does. It's very hard and difficult to do, but it can lead literally to the salvation of a soul if they hear the Word of God in your rebuke, and by God's Holy Spirit they're brought to repentance. Hmm. Uh, verse 24, children need to obey the fourth commandment and not uh, steal from their parents. In in the end days, it's I think it's First Timothy 1, yes, where, where Paul is writing to Timothy, and he talks about the evil and wickedness of people wanting to, to kill their father and their mother. And the Lord Jesus talks about children rising against their parents, and here we're seeing that as well. So it's a, it's a mark of great sin when children steal and, and don't respect their parents as they should. So 24 has a lot to do with the fourth commandment. 25, a greedy man stirs up strife because he's greedy, and he wants something and he's going to take it, and there's strife, that's fine. The greedy person doesn't care because they're hard to mind uh, or on riches. But the one who trusts in the Lord, ah, that's the true riches. What does Jesus say? Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth that rust and moss destroy, but those eternal heavenly treasures where rust and moss do not destroy, and thieves cannot break in and steal. We hear that a lot, but we can't hear it too often, because our hearts, our minds are greedy, and we want to go after the wrong things. And so Proverbs hits upon this quite a bit, but still it's never too much, because our old Adam needs to be curbed, and we need to be reminded it is not wealth and riches that constitute true wealth in the eyes of God. And that's a lesson for us as Christian people, but the entire world needs to hear uh, to, to, to hopefully by the grace of God stem this, this real, this, this rabid desire for wealth and accumulating possessions. I'm going to give you your one minute warning, Pastor Grotowitz. Wrap up and give us some Jesus. Yo, sure. We need to trust in our Lord. We need to trust in our Lord and not be given to idols. The Lord in Him, there's true riches. You know, let's be content in this life. We all have plenty of reason to repent and turn to God. And wherever we are at in our stations, okay, if we are under a cruel oppressor, if we don't have as much money as we think we should have, 
look, we repent and look to God who always has our needs before him, in him our true riches, namely the forgiveness of our sins, the forgiveness of all of our horrible sins for the sake of Christ. That's our true wealth, that when we die, we live in the paradise our Lord has secured for us. Amen. Pastor Ryan Agrotowitz is the associate pastor and headmaster at Grace Lutheran Church and School in Brenham, Texas, helping us this morning with Proverbs 28, verses 1 through 28. Pastor Agrotowitz, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, October 15th. We're looking at Proverbs 28, verses 1 through 28. We've got Pastor Ryan Agrotowitz with us. He serves as the associate pastor and headmaster at Grace Lutheran Church and School in Brenham, Texas. Pastor Agrotowitz, prior to the break, we're looking at the first part of chapter 28. One of the, the really outstanding verses in this section is verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Here we have not only earthly wisdom, but certainly heavenly wisdom when it comes to confession and absolution. Take us into verse 13. Well, that's a great gift that Christians have, which is to hear absolution, God's absolution, through the lips of his servant, the called and ordained pastor. This verse nicely says what our church does believe and confess, which is, you know, if you hide your sins, you will not prosper, but confess them. Repent. Repent, confess, and you will have the mercy that God promises and gives. For any Christian who is hurting and needs to get something off their chest, those sins that they know, feel, and experience, they certainly are not compelled to to list every single sin. Uh, Go to your pastor. Go, confess, and he is charged by God to forgive you. No strings attached. He pronounces absolution, and you go away in peace. And the gift, really, it really is that good. It seems like there should be some strings or a big, lengthy to-do list. Um, But forgiveness in the sight of God is complete and total forgiveness. Your sins are absolved because of the atonement of our Lord Jesus to cover and pay for all sin. And when God says, I will remember your sins no more, he's not going to call them to mind because you are forgiven by the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So a good verse right there for us Christians and and anybody to remember. You know, let's be bold to confess and receive what God gives. Instead of harboring our sins and even defending them, man, that can be just rot to the bones when we want to hold on to the anger, hold on to the regret, hold on to the guilt, There is no prosperity in those things. But to confess them, own up to them, and receive what God gives, that is true refreshment for the bones. In a book like Proverbs, it's such a a wonderful gift to have a verse like this, because the temptation is, when you're reading 
all these verses that say this is what the wicked do in contrast to what the righteous do. This is what the foolish do in contrast to what the wise do. The temptation is for us to always want to look at our lives and try to put ourselves with the wise and the righteous in a way that's just not honest, in a way that's not real, and and to make excuses for our wickedness or our foolishness when those come up, as, as we are both sinner and saint at the same time. And, and a verse like this is a, a wonderful reminder to be honest when it comes to these Proverbs and where we have followed the way of the wicked or we have followed after the way of folly to confess that rather than trying to lie about it and be dishonest with only ourselves. We're only fooling ourselves as St. John reminds us in his epistle. We can simply confess it. And and when we do, when we don't try to cover up our own sin, we we're surprised by joy to know that God does cover our sins with the blood of Jesus Christ. And it, it is, it's just a preci- precious gift. And as you said, there's no strings attached. Go in peace. Oh, what, a, what an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. It is. Let's continue then with the rest of the chapter here in Proverbs 28. We're picking up now in verse 15. Like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over a poor people. A ruler who lacks understanding is a cruel oppressor. But he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. If one is burdened with the blood of another, he will be a fugitive until death. Let no one help him. Whoever walks in integrity will be delivered, but he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. To show partiality is not good, but for a piece of bread a man will do wrong. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Whoever robs his father or his mother and says, that is no transgression, is a companion to a man who destroys. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Whoever trusts in his own whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. When the wicked rise, people hide themselves, but when they perish, the righteous increase. That's the end of Proverbs 28. That was verses 15 through 28. So at the beginning of this section, Pastor Gradowitz, we've got two verses that deal with the matter of a ruler. We've got a, a, a roaring lion or a charging bear. That's what a wicked ruler is like for the poor people. The And then along those same lines, a ruler who lacks understanding is a cruel oppressor, but he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. Take us, take us into this picture of an unjust ruler and a just ruler. Sure. So the unjust ruler would be the one who is in the category of the wicked and the fool. And so early on in verse one, we talked about wicked people being afraid of everything. And, you know, you take a ruler who's just paranoid of everything. And I'm thinking of like a King Herod, and he may be a very good example here. This just came to my mind. When King Herod, for example, receives the Magi, and they say, we're looking for the one who's born the king of the Jews. It's not something you say to a guy like King Herod. And when he finds out he's tricked by the Magi, remember they have the dream and they go a different way after seeing the Christ, he flies into a murderous rage and has all the boys to and under in Bethlehem and the surrounding region slaughtered. So the slaughter of the innocent, Matthew has that account for us. We see what happens when rulers get paranoid. And man, they are like the, the charging bear and the roaring lion. And you think about a roaring lion and a charging bear, at that moment, they just have blood on their mind. They're going to, to kill, to maul, and that's all they are thinking about. Discernment is out the window. And that's what you're going to get when you have a wicked ruler over a poor, oppressed, crushed people. Um, the one who lacks understanding, their understanding in the context of Proverbs, this is the understanding of God, a wise ruler who does fear God and does sing with temperance and patience and true wisdom from above, the one who hates unjust gain. So getting back to this idea of wanting to get something in an unjust way, oppressing people to fleece them and take what's not yours, 
that's bad and wicked. But the one who hates those things, the ruler who does turn from that, because that ruler has a deep understanding in the ways of God, there's going to be the prolonging of days. And I think, too, there's a connection, maybe even a little one, to what we talked about earlier when um, we talked about a land that has many, many rulers because the land has transgressed, as opposed to that man, that ruler with understanding and knowledge. There's going to be stability. Things are going to be prolonged because the ruler is operating with the wisdom, not his own. You know, as, as we see more and more of these verses in the book of Proverbs about kings or rulers, mm-hmm. I, I reflect upon our, our own situation in, in which we live in a country in, in which there's, there's no religious test for our ruler. That's, that's the way this country is designed is that there is no religious test. It's, that's part of the, the constitution of our country. And yet uh, there's, I, I know. I mean, in my own reflection as a as a Christian, there's been times where I've I've said, you know, whether or not the person I vote for, whether the person who has authority over me is a Christian or not, that's not the number one thing. And and yet, and yet, as I read the book of Proverbs, I I wonder about that because oh, sure. Sure. because a Christian should have a proper understanding of what is right and wrong according to true understanding. Such that, and maybe I could say it like this, all other things being equal, a Christian will make a better civil ruler than a non-Christian. Is that, I mean, is that true, Pastor Grotowitz? I completely believe that is true, yeah. Right, and, and I, was, I was overjoyed, and I may be on the minority on this, but there was this quote I used to hear all the time, that apparently Luther said, I'd rather be ruled by a wise Turk than a foolish Christian. And that always irked me, but, you know, Luther said it, and he's certainly much smarter than I am. And then I found some people doing some research trying to track that quote down, and they couldn't do it. They couldn't find it. And I I paid close attention to that because um, I, I was a little bit excited, maybe that's the word, to hear that they could not track it. And to my knowledge, the exact reference to that quote has never been found. He gets close in some of his tracks to saying it, um, but not the way we've heard it, that you know, it's better to have a wise Turk than a foolish Christian. So if one of your listeners does find it, and I'm in error, I encourage them to please email me so I can make that correction. But at least a few years ago, there were some scholars trying to find it, and they couldn't track it down. And when you read Luther's writings, Pastor Apple, he is constantly calling upon authorities to do the right thing. Um, in, in spiritual and civil matters, he's always calling upon the government to, to do right. And so I don't think it's unfair to say, you know, he does want at least authorities who operate with a Christian mindset and a basis for passing laws and managing the land. Even in the tract on usury, he talks about temporal authorities, you know, setting some price controls and whatnot to fix the situation and curb against greed. You look at that, what he said, but and more importantly than just Luther, but look at the Scriptures. Look at Proverbs. Read Proverbs, and you will come away hoping and praying, God puts a Christian magistrate, a ruler in power. You know, maybe they don't know everything about financial policy, but the Christian will look, th- look at things through the lens of God and not endorse and support something like abortion. Right, and I don't. I don't think we want to. I don't think either one of us are. Or I'm, I'm trying not. We're not trying to bind someone's conscience, saying that you must say vote. And and voting is not the only way we participate in this in the civil realm as Christians, by the way. But but we're not binding someone's conscience, saying that if you don't vote for a Christian, you sin. But but rather to say, pay attention to how your rulers make use sure. of scripture. You know, when, when you hear them quote scripture, are they, are they quoting it as God gave it or are they using it for some other purposes? And that's true no matter where your particular magistrate falls on the political spectrum. Are they making use of it the way that God intends to, to use according to his wisdom or are they making use of it for their own purposes? And, and pay attention to those things. And, and as you said, I think perhaps the most important thing we can say is that this is a, a cause for prayer on our parts. Lord, give us this kind of ruler, one who is wise and who will rule according to what you give in your word. Sure, yes. And and for the magistrate we have, if you know one does not agree with and like the policies of a magistrate who is over us, pray for them as well, that the Lord would bring them to repentance and faith to do the right thing. And I want to echo what you said. I, I don't want anyone 
thinking I'm trying to bound their conscience and, and suddenly start declaring this vote to be a sin and that vote not to be a sin. I think if, if we are to do that, we're stepping into a pile of sins mm-hmm. by that. But yeah, to pay attention, Pastor Apple, yeah, to pay attention and pray. Pray for our rulers, pray for the ones in power right now, they would do the right thing, and that down the road, the Lord would give us good, faithful rulers that we appreciate and continue to pray for. Mm. Moving on in the the text, let's let's go down to verse eighteen because I think there, with that right. verse, there's a, a bit of a an introduction into a, a broader topic. Whoever walks in integrity will be delivered, but he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. That that verse seems to function as a, a bit of an introduction to several verses that delve into the matter of walking with integrity versus walking in a crooked way. Yes, I mean Christian walk. Is, is vital to your existence now, and certainly when you die to go be with your Lord. So one who walks in integrity, again, walking in this, this, this idea of, of completeness, honest, sound, wholesome, unimpaired, and even, this is interesting, I'm looking at the definition I wrote for this, this word, tamim in the Hebrew, even innocent. Well, how could you walk in innocence, being that we are sinful people? And the, the best and really only explanation, only explanation, is that you are innocent because you believe in God who takes away your sin, and that's how you are walking. And if you walk in a crooked way, walking in unbelief, denouncing God, going the opposite direction, it's going to be a quick fall. In this life, falling into unbelief, falling into the pit of sin and death, that's not good. And, of course, you know, the Day of Judgment, if that's where you're at, that's bad as well, eternally speaking. So we want the integrity that God gives, and honesty, to acknowledge who we are before Him. That's an important part of this of this integrity. We're honest with ourselves, getting back to that idea, too, of confessing our sins. And we have the integrity to, to believe in God and trust to Him to lead us and guide us instead of relying on our own devices. So the way that that integrity then plays out in life is, is expounded in the following verses. Verse 19, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. But he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Now, this is a helpful verse, I think, for, for a number of reasons. It certainly encourages us in diligent labor. And it is a reminder, for example, from some of the verses we looked at previously, verses 3 and 6, when it talks about, like, well, verse 6 particularly, better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. It's not that a rich man is being condemned precisely because he's rich. I mean, it has had to do that has much more to do with, do you walk in integrity or not here? We, we do see, look, diligent work reaps a reward in this life. And that's not a, that's not a bad thing. It's something to be received with Thanksgiving as we pray in the fourth petition. The one who is working is the one also who should trust in God to give. And he's he's taking care of his labor, he's taking care of what he's been given and working, and we juxtapose that with the person who wants everything quick, everything easy, because he covets that which is not his and doesn't want to work for it. I mean, we remember part of the fall, curse of the fall, by the sweat of your brow, Adam, you will till the ground. And we don't escape that from this life, we do have to work. And so when we take upon the task, the duty of doing work, we're acknowledging what God has said about this fallen place. We, we cannot undo the curse of the fall. We can't change the political structure, change economic foundations, and think, aha, that's going to usher in the utopia that we want. No, the curse of the fall is going to be here until our Lord returns, and that curse entails working. And so here, the person who is working does so with the promise. The Lord sees what he's doing, and he will provide. And a worker who does labor and puts his trust in God is trusting in He who always has our needs before His throne of grace. Mm. And we can work with joy knowing the Lord sees what we're doing, He sees our faith, and He will give according to His good and gracious will, as opposed to the one who follows worthless pursuits. So I guess I need to get out of my Ponzi scheme, right? <laughs> because <laughs> the worthless pursuits are not going to pay off. I'm thinking about this show I know we're getting short for time, but American Greed, and I, I used to love watching American Greed because it showed people, you know, they're following worthless pursuits. They've got their Ponzi scheme, and they're trying to get rich quick, and it works great for a while, but in Ponzi schemes, they only work as long as you have new investors and new money coming in, right? Because you can't just stick with one sum and pay people more than what's already in the pot, and eventually, you know, it always it always falls down. Uh, but that verse just reminds us 
of what we see on a show like American Greed, okay? Do the work God has called you to do. Don't covet. Don't follow worthless, vain pursuits. Trust in God to provide. Yeah, I mean, and, and a reminder that, that work is a gift from God, too. He did give work before the fall into sin to Adam. He gave Adam to to work and keep the garden there in Genesis 2. And so, I mean, certainly the curse now has affected our work so that it, it involves toil and sweat and, and we don't eat except mm-hmm. by that. But the work itself does remain a gift from God. And, and it's not something to be avoided as, as if it were bad or as if it were a, a barrier to receiving what God wants to give us. Rather, it is the means by which God gives to us. And, and when we try to go around it, uh, whether through a worthless pursuit or in uh, verse 22, it says a stingy man hastens after wealth. The, the note there in the ESV indicates that the, the Hebrew there for a stingy man is a, a man whose eye is evil. So it, that person who hastens after wealth, well, what do you get really? You're going to get poverty. That, that's really all that's coming. Rather than working diligently in what God has given you, knowing, as you said, in trust that this is how God is going to provide for me and my daily bread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, sure. Yes, that's how he is going to provide. He, he's going to give it according to his good and gracious will and even use labor to do it. So we should work. And I like what you said about work uh, being a gift. Uh, that's a good reminder for me. So when I start complaining about all the work I do, <laughs> to remind myself, it is a good thing to be able to do this. And it is a gift, even though sometimes you know, the labor in the ministry can be hard. And really, in any, any vocation, I think what you said is helpful for Christians to bear in mind. Yes, you're working hard, but that work is a gift. Be thankful you can do it. Right. I mean, uh, not everybody has that ability to go out there and work, even when they wish they should. So we should really uh, be thankful for that. But yeah, a lot of good things in that verse. No doubt. No doubt. So let's the, the final what, verses 23 through 28, perhaps we can lump them together and pull out a, a few topics there. We, we got about five minutes here, Pastor Agrotowitz. Okay. So yeah, you tell me, where do, where do you want to focus in those five minutes? Let's see. So we are starting, let's see, we took us down to uh, through... Uh, 20, right? Um, Where do I want to focus? Well, I say you've already read them. Let's just start talking to them and try to get through them in five minutes. How how does that sound? I'll I'll give you a one-minute warning, and then you can tell us about Jesus, okay? And then we'll close. That's good. A one-minute warning. Yeah, I got to end on the right spot. I can't be left hanging on something that's just not very comforting. (laughs) But, uh, you know, verse 20 Again, the idea of hastening to be rich will not go unpunished. I mean, that gets back to coveting something, and you want it quick, and you don't want to work. We've talked about that. Verse 21, showing partiality. That is not good before a piece of bread. Man will do, um, a man will do wrong. So we don't want to be partial to some people. That is not good. And for a piece of bread, man will do, man will do wrong. If somebody is hungry, I think that might be a verse for rulers. When people start to go hungry... They will do wrong. They will do things that they shouldn't do. So that might be a good verse for rulers to keep in mind. You know, above all else, keep your people fed. For a piece of bread, a man will do wrong. A stingy man hastens after wealth. You know, these verses are, again, hitting upon the point that we've, I think we've done a pretty good job talking about. Uh, if, if you're going after wealth too quickly, you're coveting, and that's not going to be good. Let's concentrate now on 23. Rebuking a person... Whoever rebukes me in life would find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. This is hard for us to do. It's hard for me as a pastor, but there's a lot in Proverbs about rebuking and calling people uh, to repentance, showing them the error of their ways. And the world thinks the opposite. To the world, you, you don't rebuke, but you let people live as they should live and make the decisions they want. That's the loving thing to do, not to call out sin. So the world has this backwards For the Christian, it is to be loving to call somebody to repentance. This rebuke can be done in a gentle way. It doesn't have to be with anger and finger pointing. But in love, one can tell another person, hey, you got to get out of this Ponzi scheme. Hey, you can't be treating your neighbor like this. You cannot oppress them, but you are to love them and help them. There's certainly more favor in that than just flattering somebody and telling them, yes, your sin is okay. You know, keep living with your boyfriend. It's not a big deal. You know, we'll, we'll just overlook that. And any number of sins that we have to deal with today. So verse 23, an important one that rebuking, it's something that the church does. It's very hard and difficult to do, but 
it can lead literally to the salvation of a soul if they hear the Word of God in your rebuke, and by God's Holy Spirit they're brought to repentance. Hmm. Uh, verse 24, children need to obey the fourth commandment and not uh, steal from their parents. In in the end days, it's I think it's First Timothy 1, Yes, where, where Paul is writing to Timothy, and he talks about the evil and wickedness of people wanting to, to kill their father and their mother. And the Lord Jesus talks about children rising against their parents, and here we're seeing that as well. So it's a, it's a mark of great sin when children steal and, and don't respect their parents as they should. So 24 has a lot to do with the fourth commandment. 25, a greedy man stirs up strife because he's greedy, and he wants something, and he's going to take it, and there's strife that's fine. The greedy person doesn't care because their hearts and mind uh, are on riches. But the one who trusts in the Lord, ah, that's the true riches. What does Jesus say? Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth that rust and moss destroy, but those eternal heavenly treasures where rust and moss do not destroy, and thieves cannot break in and steal. We hear that a lot, but we can't hear it too often because our hearts, our minds are greedy, and we want to go after the wrong things. And so Proverbs hits upon this quite a bit, but still it's never too much, because our old Adam needs to be curbed, and we need to be reminded. It is not wealth and riches that constitute true wealth in the eyes of God. And that's a lesson for us as Christian people, but the entire world needs to hear, uh, to, to, to hopefully by the grace of God, stem this this real, this this rabid desire for wealth and accumulating possessions. I'm going to give you your one minute warning, Pastor Grotowitz. Wrap up and give us some Jesus. Yo, sure. We need to trust in our Lord. We need to trust in our Lord and not be given to idols. The Lord in Him, there's true riches. You know, let's be content in this life. We all have plenty of reason to repent and turn to God. And wherever we are at in our stations, okay, if we are under a cruel oppressor, if we don't have as much money as we think we should have, look, we repent and look to God who always has our needs before Him, in Him our true riches, namely the forgiveness of our sins, the forgiveness of all of our horrible sins for the sake of Christ. That's our true wealth, that when we die, we live in the paradise our Lord has secured for us. Amen. Pastor Ryan Agrotowitz is the associate pastor and headmaster at Grace Lutheran Church and School in Brenham, Texas, helping us this morning with Proverbs 28, verses 1 through 28. Pastor Agrotowitz, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.